Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your brother Hussein Kamani. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting our efforts is endless. You never know who will be able to benefit from your donation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya amma ba'd. In our previous halaqa, we discussed the destruction of Fir'aun and how all of his arrogance ended up leading him to the bottom of the ocean and then even the water not accepting him and spitting him back out to the ground. With the drowning of Fir'aun, a 400-year window of Banu Israel going through difficulty and persecution had now come to an end. This was a window in which at the beginning there was honor and they were respected because they were the family members of Yusuf salam, and Yusuf salam was respected and had a lofty position. But as time went on from Yusuf salam, very soon, Banu Israel, as their people grew in numbers, they were viewed as the outsiders. And the pharaohs made it a point to treat Banu Israel as second-class citizens. And this is what the Qur'an talks about as well. And we discussed this earlier. Now, finally, when these people left Fir'aun, a dream had come true that they could not even imagine. Something that was just a far dream, that one day we will leave Egypt. One day we will go back to the land of our forefathers. One day someone will come and save us from the tyranny of this great man, Fir'aun. Something that was unimaginable, and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it happen before their eyes. Banu Israel were reluctant at every step, because so many years had passed by and they were always treated as being the inferior. They weren't even sure if they had the courage to take on the tasks that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had entrusted them with. That's why they kept um, questioning and objecting to Sayyidina Musa salam, that what's going to happen now? Fir'aun's catching up. What's going to happen now? Because they weren't sure. They, didn't, they weren't sure if this could actually happen. They had been sucked so deep into this mindset that they lost confidence in themselves. Banu Israel, as a result of this mindset and as a result of their experience, when they crossed the the water, the, the water, the body of water, as soon as they crossed it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us what happened next. Allah says in Surah Araf, verse number 138, 139, and 140, bi bahar, fa'ataw ala ya'kufuna ala lahum. Qalu ya Musa ja'allana ilahan kama lahum aliha. Qala innakum qawmun tajhalun. So at the beginning and end, 
And at the end of the ayah, let's look at the ayah backwards. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds Banu Israel that look at all of the favors of Allah. And then go to the first part of the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying to us that they just crossed the water. Fir'aun just drowned. You guys are probably not even dry yet. And you, they, as they were traveling when they left the water, they passed by a people who were worshipping some idols. So they, they said to Musa alayhi salam that we wish to have an idol to worship like they do. So Musa salam said to them, What's interesting here is that Musa salam didn't say to them that you are a people who do kufr. Because their statement can seem as if they were interested and inclined towards kufr. They wanted an idol like the people who they passed by had an idol. Musa salam, rather than attributing their request to kufr, he attributed it to jahala. In his mind, he's thinking that these people are not looking for a God other than Allah, rather they're looking for a physical manifestation of God that they can worship towards because they think that's something that's necessary. Because this is what they've seen in Egypt. God was Fir'aun. There were idols they worshipped. They had these deities that people saw and they worshipped. Therefore, these people, they made this request to Sayyidina Musa salam. Musa salam immediately tells them, no, we aren't doing this. Then Musa salam says, mutabbarun, The scholars, they say, mutabbarun ay muhlakun. That indeed all of what you see, these idols that they're worshipping, mutabbarun. These people, what they're doing, these idols they worship, the actions they are doing, these all lead to destruction. It will leave. There is no benefit, no, there is no longevity of the, of the harm they are doing, of the wrong they are doing. And I want you to view evil like this. Sometimes you might see evil in your life and think to yourself, man, these guys are really enjoying themselves. The way they worship, or sometimes even the way they live their social life, the way these people party, the way they live it up, the way they drink, and the, the, their lives look amazing. But regarding all of this, should we not remember the favors of Allah that we've come so far today in our life that we are Muslimun? Should we not forget that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored us in our life? And yet today we look at other people, look at their lifestyles, view it to be superior over the lifestyle given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is that not a form of betrayal? We read the stories of these people and the prophets of Allah in the Qur'an, not just to laugh at them and say, what a bunch of weirdos, or what a bunch of awesome folks, depending on which story you're reading. Why? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed in these stories, there is a, in the uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed in these stories, there are lessons for people of intellect. So we need to be able to build those bridges, build those connections. That how many of us view what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us as inferior, and we look at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to others, and we think to ourselves, man, I wish I can have what that person has. Even though everything they have leads to destruction, it has no weight at all, and ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favored you. So you should be proud over what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you. It may not be convenient sometimes what Allah gives you. Sometimes it may be even difficult on the nafs, but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with things being difficult. Because it's through those difficulties that we become the best versions of ourselves. 
Look at every discipline in the world, look at every scenario and exercise in the world, it requires some sort of sacrifice. You have to be willing to adjust to what's right, not, not bring what's wrong and view it to be right. The right is always right, the wrong is always wrong. Some scholars they ask, Imam Razi he brings up this question. That this idea of worshipping an idol, was this a, a desire of some people of Banu Israel? Or was it a desire of all of Banu Israel? Was it that everyone with him wanted to worship idols? Or was it just some people? Qulna, Imam Razi said that we would say, Bal min ba'dihim. It was not all of Banu Israel. When the Quran talks about people who had bad traits from Banu Israel, some of them were transgressors, some of them did this, some of them challenged him. Always remember it's a group of them. You should never think to yourself that everyone in Banu Israel was corrupted and everyone in Banu Israel was, was messed up. Imam Razi then continues to say, لِأَنَّهُ كَانَ مَعَ مُوسَى عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ السَّبْعُونَ السَّبْعُونَ Alif Lam at the beginning, the 70. الْمُخْتَارُونَ وَكَانَ فِيهِمْ مَنْ يَرْتَفِعُ عَنْ مِثْلِ هَذَا السُؤَالَ الْبَاطِلِ And amongst Musa alayhi salam's Banu Israel were the 70 selected. Who are these 70 people? وَاخْتَارَ مُوسَى قَامَهُ سَبْعِينَ رَجُلًا لِمِيقَاتِنَا These were 70 people who were hand-picked by Musa as we'll discuss later on in, in today's class, inshaAllah. These are people who Musa trusted. People who Musa felt were a little bit more special than the others who had made something out of themselves. So they were these people. And these people, even though they had flaws and they had their own issues, which we'll read about later on in the class, they were far from kufr. They were far from shirk. Imam Qurtubi rahmatullahi while commenting on this ayah of Surah Araf, he says that, and we have an example of this in the life of the Prophet sallallahu And we have an example of this in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَنَذِيرُهُ قَوْلُ جُهَالِ الْأَعْرَابِ And the example of this we can find in the statement of the ignorant folks from the Bedouins. وَقَدْ رَأَوْ شَجَرَةً خَضْرَاءَ الْكُفَّارِ they had seen a beautiful green tree that the disbelievers had. anwat. This tree was called Datu Anwat. Anwat That this was a tree that they would hang their, their weapons on and wept, hang their belongings on. Now this Datu Anwat, this tree that the kuffar they had, they would dedicate one day every year to honoring this tree. Now the Bedouins thought that was cool. Wow, these guys have a Christmas. One day dedicated to the birthday of their prophet. These guys have Easter. These folks here have Valentine's Day. They have Thanksgiving. They have um, um, uh, um, Halloween. And I know I just bunched a bunch of holidays together. I'm not against all of them, just to be clear. But I'm just trying to draw this idea that sometimes you look at other people. I'll give you another example in India or in the subcontinent. Um, many of the Muslims see their Hindu brethren in society and they say, wow, these guys really know how to celebrate. Because in the Hindu culture, singing and dancing and partying has a great, it has a great place in religion. They have a whole um, celebration called the celebration of colors, also known as Diwali, in which people are throwing colors at each other. It looks really fun. So someone might look at this and say, wow, those guys are really having a party. We want that too. 
So this is what these Bedouins said to the Prophet wasallam that the kuffar have a celebration that looks really nice. We want one as well. Ya Rasulullah, ij'al lana dhata anwatin kamalahum dhata anwat. Make for us a dhata anwat like they have one. Give us the same holiday too. Faqala alayhi salam, the Prophet said, Allahu Akbar. Allah is the greatest. Qultum walladhi nafsi biyadih kama qala qawmu Musa. You have said, just as the people of Musa alayhi salam said, and I take an oath by the one, uh, by the one in whose hand my soul is. You have said similar to the people of the people of Musa alayhi salam. What did they say? Ij'allana ilahan kamalahum aliha qala innakum qawmun tajhalun. They said, give to us a god like they have gods. And Musa alayhi salam said, indeed you are an ignorant people. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, indeed you will imitate sunana man qablakum. You will, you will imitate the path of those that came before you. Step by step, stone by stone. Until if one of them entered into a hole, you would enter into the hole as well. You won't think objectively that what they're doing, even though it looks cool, is it the right thing? Or is it actually wrong? You're going to lose your objectivity because you will feel inferior of yourself. And you will think to yourself that, hey, if, if the white man's doing it, then it's got to be right. If, if someone else is doing it, it has to be the right thing. Because everything that's not Muslim is cool. That's how some of us begin to think. Everything that's not Islamic has to be right. Now, as they continue to travel, Banu Israel with Musa salam, they entered into this desert. And it was very dry there. There was no water, no greenery as far as the eye can see. They came to Musa salam and they said to him, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, Musa salam, Ya Kalim Allah, we are thirsty. We ask you to ask Allah to give us water. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَإِذِ اسْتَسْقَى مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ فَقُلْ نَضْرِبْ بِعَصَاكَ الْحَجَرِ In Surah Baqarah, ayah number 60, Allah says, and when Musa salam istasqa Musa liqawmihi, when Musa salam sought water from Allah for his people, that Ya Allah, the people want water. In Islam, we also have a concept of istisqa. If, for example, there is scarcity of water, it hasn't rained, the wells are gone dry, the Prophet wasallam was requested by the companions to seek water from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Generally speaking, the Prophet sallallahu would lead the people and in prayer, known as salatul istisqa, the prayer for seeking water. And then the Prophet sallallahu would make lengthy dua in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is an established prayer. The Hanafi scholars, they say, the salah isn't as important as the actual dua is. What do the Hanafi scholars argue? What's more important? The actual dua you make to Allah, that more than the salah itself. While the other fuqaha say there's a particular salah that has a procedure and must be prayed in that way in order for the salat al-istisqa to be proper. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we said to Musa alayhi salam, فَقُلْنَا اِذْرِبْ بِعَصَاكَ الْحَجَرِ That take your staff and hit it against the rock. Hit it against the stone. Some scholars have said that this stone was a very specific and special stone. Now we know the asa of Musa was special. 
That this is an asa that he acquired in Madian at some point in his life while he was in Madian. We discussed this staff of Musa salam already. This was a staff that was in his hand when he stood in front of Allah and had his first conversation with Allah. And Allah asked him, "Ma tilka biyaminika ya Musa?" This was the same staff that he threw in front of Pharaoh. And here he has a staff in his hand, and Allah says, "Take the staff and hit a rock." Now, which rock was it? Some ulama say this was a rock that Musa salam would place his clothes on when he would bathe. And there's a little story behind this rock because there's a narration that one day this rock ran away with his clothes. And I'll talk about this ahead as we discuss the ayah, يَا أَيُّوَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ آذَوا مُوسَى فَبَرَّأَهُ اللَّهُ مِمَّا قَالُوا We'll cover that ahead inshallah. But that seems to be a ba'id tawjih because it's very possible this incident occurred much later on of the stone running away. Therefore this stone wasn't with Musa salam this early into their journey. It seems to have been some massive rock that may have been by, may have, may have been close to a water source. Musa alayhi salam took his staff, he struck it against the rock. What happened? Fun fajarat min huthnata asharat aina. Twelve, um, twelve rivers began to flow from there. Twelve springs came gushing out of there. Each person knew where to drink from. The reason is because in Banu Israel there were 12 major tribes. Yaqub had 12 sons. So each tribe knew that they would drink from their pathway. And they had allocated which tribe would drink from where. They would go to that spring and they would drink from there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Drink and eat and drink from the providings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But don't run around on the earth causing corruption. Be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is already teaching Banu Israel to be thankful. Because this was one thing that was lacking. Even though Allah favored them with such a great favor by saving them from Fir'aun, they were already looking for an idol. You know? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to be thankful. Now as they move on, while they're traveling in this desert, they begin to feel hungry too. And the sun is beating down on them, it's exhausting them. They come to Musa alayhi salam again and they say, Oh Musa, ask your Lord to give us shade. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Baqarah, ayah number 57, That we gave them shade through clouds. Clouds came above them and gave them shade. Then they said, We're hungry. That we gave them man and salwa. Now what exactly is man and salwa? This is one of those places in tafsir where the scholars have differed greatly. There's like a million opinions on what exactly is man and what exactly is salwa. Some scholars have provided actual details of what man and salwa were. These were different types of birds, different types of meat. One was sweet, one was savory. All these different opinions are there on what man and salwa was. Now while they were in the desert, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them access to this food, which was a heavenly food, a food provided to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, كُلُوا مِن طَيِّبَاتِ مَا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ وَمَا ظَلَمُونَا وَلَكِنْ كَانُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ Eat from the pure that we have provided for you. We did not oppress them, right? وَمَا ظَلَمُونَا Sorry, they did not oppress us. وَلَكِنْ كَانُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ But they oppressed themselves. Why is Allah talking about oppressing themselves? Because Allah knows very soon they're going to be ungrateful again. And by being ungrateful, you haven't done any harm to Allah. You've actually only harmed yourself 
by doing kufran or ni'mah, being ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, as the, they now had access to water, food, and shade, this is where people were now a little bit more comfortable. While they were getting comfortable, Musa alayhi salam told his people not to get too comfortable. And the reason was because they were commanded by Allah to go into war. They were commanded by Allah, it's time to go to war. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَإِذْ قَالَ مُوسَىٰ لِقَوْمِهِ يَا قَوْمِ اذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ And when Musa alayhi salam came to his people and began to remind them of the favors of Allah, إِذْ جَعَلَ فِيكُمْ أَنْبِيَاءَ وَجَعَلَكُمْ مُلُوكَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made prophets come within you. Not one prophet, but many prophets came to Bani Israel. وَجَعَلَكُمْ مُلُوكَ And he made you kings. Now right here someone can ask a question. Who was a king from Bani Israel? The best you can get is maybe Yusuf alayhi salam, that was one. Until this point, were there any kings? Follow the history. Yaqub alayhi salam's son, Yusuf alayhi salam, arrives in Egypt. Banu Israel come there. They remain in slavery for the most part of the 400 years. Musa alayhi salam is taking them out of Egypt. Who was the king? And Allah says, Muluka, which means what? Made you kings. Now Allah is saying, go to war. So what does Allah mean when He says, وَجَعَلَكُمْ muluka? The ulama, they write, that in order to understand this, the tafsir of وَجَعَلَكُمْ muluka, you have to bear in mind what Banu Israel just came out of. They came out of a life that wasn't pleasant. They came out of more or less slavery. They came out of a life of oppression. And now they had food and drink available. Now they had servants available. Now they had shade above them. They didn't have to worry about any person oppressing them, calling them, serving anyone. So now, with this in your mind, it is narrated from Abdul Razak, Athori, Mansur, Hakam. They all narrate from Ibn Abbas radiallahu an. وَجَعَلَكُمْ مُلُوكَ أَيْ الْخَادِمُ وَالْمَرْأَةُ وَالْبَيْتِ وَجَعَلَكُمْ مُلُوكَ Ibn Abbas radiallahu an says, Allah made you kings. What that means is Allah granted you khadim, you have servants. Al-mara, you have a spouse. Wal-bayt, you have a home. What more do you want to be considered as kings? Similarly, Imam Hakim narrates in his Mustadrak عن مجاهد from Ibn Abbas that the you being called kings is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you spouses and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you with servants as well. Maymun bin Mahran narrates from Ibn Abbas كان الرجل من بني إسرائيل إذا كان له الزوجة والخادم والدار سمي ملكا that amongst Banu Israel, when someone had three things, if they had a spouse, they had a servant, and they had a home, they were considered to be kings. Similarly, Abdullah bin Amr ibn Asad, he says that a person asked him, Alasna min fuqara'il muhajirin, that aren't we from the fuqara' muhajirun? Because Abdullah bin Amr is a companion who's from, originally from Mecca. So, uh, Abdullah radiallahu anh said, Alaka imra'atun, do you have a spouse? He said, yes I do. Alaka maskan, do you have a home? He said, naam. Faqala, anta min al-aghniya. You are not a poor person anymore. You are a wealthy person. Faqala, inna li khadiman. He said, well, I don't only have those two things. I don't only have a, I don't only have a spouse and a home. I also have a servant. Qala, fa anta min al-muluk. He said, not only are you a wealthy person, then you are a king. 
Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi alayhi said that a king, what is a king other than one who has, who is a king other than the one who has a ride, a servant, and a home? Ibn, Sh- Ibn Shudab says, when a person in Banu Israel had a home and a servant, and permission was sought from him to enter into his home or to borrow his belongings, he was considered a king. That now you have so much that people are asking you, can I borrow your phone? Can I borrow your washer? Can I borrow your lawnmower? You know, people are asking you for permission. You're a king. You should be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, we reflect over this for a moment, and we ask ourselves, where are we? Sometimes we forget how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Alhamdulillah, not only do we have homes, we have the most comfortable homes any of the creation of Allah could have ever asked for. You know, we have such amenities in our apartments, in our homes. The type of mattresses we sleep on, I don't even know if kings of the past slept on these mattresses. I don't know if King Henry had a mattress like I have at home. Wala hawla wala quwata illa billah. I thank Allah for it. We thank Allah, alhamdulillah. You know, I think of how many servants do I have? How many servants do I have? Now, I don't have anyone that comes and serves me at my home as a human being, but I definitely have a lot of servants. I think of my air condition as a servant, like someone standing by my side and they're, they're fanning me. I think of the lights at home like a servant, someone standing there with a lantern. I think of my radio as a servant, someone who's sharing the news with me. I think of my washing machine as a servant, someone who's standing there washing my clothes. I think of my dryer as a servant, someone who's just there drying my clothes out. I think of my phone as a servant, my private messenger who messages me instantly. I think of my camera as my servant, someone who's there drawing me out in any form, in any shape I want to. I think of my oven as my servant. Everything around me, when I look at it, my car, my servant again. And these days cars are getting more and more sophisticated. And you know, there are these Tesla cars that literally they drive themselves. What more could you ask from Allah? These phones these days, you talk to them. I don't even, you know, I, I don't remember the last time I manually inputted my alarm clock. I don't do that anymore. I just say, hey Google, wake me up at 8 a.m. And that's it. It's like I have a khadim there waiting by my side, listening to everything I have to say, noting it down. And exactly 8 a.m., a khadim wouldn't wake me up at 8 a.m. They'd wake me up at 7.59 or 8.01. My phone wakes me up at what time? 8 a.m. Just yesterday I was in my car and I was thinking that I was at home and I didn't have my Wi-Fi connected. So I told myself, that's ajib. All those hours I used my phone without my Wi-Fi, I must have really drained my internet. So then I checked and I realized in the phone there is a feature where you can geotag when your phone switches its Wi-Fi on and when it switches it off. These smartphones, they have this. Which means that you can tag your home and as soon as your phone enters into that vicinity, what happens to your Wi-Fi? It automatically switches on. And when you leave your home, what happens to your Wi-Fi? It turns off. How many, how, many, how many servants do we actually have at this point? How many servants do we have? So we should be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, Ya Allah, you've given us more luxury today than people in the past could have ever imagined. وَجَعَلَكُمْ وَجَعَلَكُمْ مُلُوكَ What does Allah say? وَجَعَلَكُمْ مُلُوكَ then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and I read this ayah and I think it applies to 
mean? وَآتَاكُمْ مَا لَمْ يُؤْتِ أَحَدًا مِّنَ الْعَالَمِينَ Allah has given to you what people of the worlds were not given to. But they weren't given, Allah has given that to you. There was a time where studying the deen was difficult because people didn't have access to knowledge. You had to travel to the great libraries of Tunis or Misr or, uh, or Hind. You had to go to these places, Timbuktu, to get access to these, these, these books and have access to the ulama. In today's world, you don't need to go anywhere. You want a library, you just have to download an app. You download an app, someone shared an app with me. I downloaded the app on my, my tablet. I was telling myself two days, two weeks back that there was a time when I would prepare for my Tuesday class. I used to sit in my library, have five, six books in front of me open, and I'd be going between books, and I had to sit in my library. You know, it was, everything was, it was very sophisticated. Then someone said to me, Hey, Muftikmani, you can study, do all of this, without even having all these books open. So I said, how do I do it? And that brother came to my home in Chicago, and set up this thing where I had like six screens in front of me. I had this very sophisticated setup at home. I had multiple screens there and I had different books opened up and I was browsing through all of them. You know how people game with five or six screens? I was like preparing my lecture with five or six screens. It's possibly because I'm not as efficient as people who know their computers are, but that's what I needed. But I've come to a point right now where these days in order to prepare my lecture, all I need is my phone and my tablet, that's it. My wife says to me, what's going on? What are you doing? And I said, I'm preparing my lecture. She says, what do you mean you're preparing your lecture? You used to have all these books everywhere. I said, those days are gone. These days, everything's in an app. You split the screen into two here. You split the screen into two there. You're looking at four books at once. And you're sitting getting a massage at the same time on a massage chair. And you're preparing your notes. Look how much convenience Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. How much can we thank Allah? We're sitting here doing a dars, we're live streaming it, people from across the world are watching. Now when Allah gives you, whenever Allah gives you, there's a responsibility that comes. Why is Musa reminding them of this favor of Allah? Because now he's going to talk to them about what they have to do.